and welcome back to B2B Video Lab, the podcast about video in the B2B sector. My guest today is Christopher Sellers, the author of a book and an executive creative consultant. So, Chris, tell me, what is an executive creative consultant? It's a fancy title for creative strategist. So I work with boards and organizations who prioritize innovation and creative problem solving, creative strategy, how to solve complex problems in atypical ways. So basically trying to leverage your creative intelligence on the board to gain like the optimal outcome. Now, you approach some unique problems in the B2B sector because you effectively are brought in when things aren't going well. So I wondered, is there examples that you have when you have a bit of friction when you first arrive in a setting? Normally, if I'm working with individuals or with teams, you can identify fairly quickly that this risk response is generally just an emotional feeling of discomfort. And normally risk in corporate terms translates to, well, it's it's going to be a waste of time or money. But then when you're in the room and you're designing solutions, and similarly to you, like if you're in the room and going, well, we're going to roll out this campaign, we're going to use video. And this is the way we're going to use it. And it actually doesn't cost a hell of a lot more. And it's, you know, it doesn't have any detrimental side effects to what you're doing now. So really what we're talking about in terms of creative process and creative solutions is you personally feel uncomfortable with something that's not been done before. Now, if once you can identify that and sort of nail it down, then most people will go, oh, yeah, you're right, and sort of shrug and go, huh, I wonder why that is, and then you can move on professionally. Nine times out of ten, you know, because you're working with professionals, that's normally the way it goes. You know, one time out of ten, someone's, they're going to double down. And, well, I, I still think it's a risk. I still think it's a bad idea. I still think we had something previously that worked. It's that age-old story, like if what you were doing was working, you wouldn't be looking for new and creative solutions. You start talking about disruption. I was really interested that one of the things you were saying there about um, the way that when you go into companies, you get a level of acceptance that there is a requirement for change, but sometimes some friction where they're trying to work out whether they can make that change. Now, I really empathize with this because video is something that a lot of people know that they need to do, but it's sometimes hard to encourage people to start in that process. What do you use as a sort of um, a carrot to push people along the path of imagining things in a more creative way or going through the creative exercises that you have? A really simple technique I tend to use if we're dealing with problem solving, and it can be applied to your clients as well. Let's say it's advertising or marketing for your sort of clients. We start with defining the problem really, really clearly. You know, why isn't it working? What do you think's not working? Exploring all of that. Now, you can never spend too much time trying to get a lot of detail and, and transparency around what the problem is. My second step's a little bit different. What I tend to do then is like from this problem, however many there are, what then is an ideal solution? And so we sort of bookend what this project would be. Like, you know what your problem is, you know what your position is, you know what the project is. That's the first thing you nail down. And then what would be your ideal solution for whatever you know marketing that you wanted to roll out? Is it going to be a financial return? Is it going to be greater brand awareness? Is it going to be like more traffic or sales? Whatever it happens to be. Take that all the way to the nth degree, not just a, no, what's a good outcome? No, no, I want your ideal outcome. What's your optimal outcome? So you as the boss, manager, client, you tell me your optimal outcome and what this would mean for you. And so once you've sort of got these two points plotted from an optimal outcome, I'll tend to track back 
and go, well, if we want to get from A to B, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. And this is because now that the client has in their mind of where they want to go and what they actually want to achieve, guys like you and I can start to stitch these pathways like, and, and more than one. Because normally in my world, you know, a corporate strategist will give you one pathway. I tend to work a little bit backwards and a bit more intuitively and a bit more specifically as well. You're asking the client by what you want to achieve. And these, and these are the ideal outcomes that will target all of these problems that you've identified. And normally when I'm really savvy, I can normally find one cohesive, elegant solution that's going to tie in all of the problems that you have. And I'm sure you can testify that like video is an exceptional tool when it comes to these sorts of things. If you're talking about reach, you know, translating through the algorithm, you know, authentic personalities, building brands, video can tick a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of boxes. Yeah. And, and so rather than trying to sell the client on the benefits of video, you ask them the problem, then you and a client, you know, what's your ideal outcome? Now, can you see how video could facilitate all of this for you and more? Because that's, you know, you've got that expertise and that's generally where that added benefit comes in. We should explain for the audience that the reason that uh, we first met is that you were working on a copy of a book that you've created. I've got the book here in the studio. The book is called Applied Creativity, Your Guide to Revolutionary Thinking and the Six Skills to Unlock Your Creative Potential. The book is a fascinating read and it's researched. It's got some really interesting examples in it. And one that I'm going to use at this point is an example where you had an organization who approached you for a solution to get people to think more creatively and came up with a room concept so could you explain yeah. what that problem was and what you did for them so this is chapter one it's the hotel room i was asked by a gentleman once you know if we wanted a scenario i'll backtrack a little bit and give some context at the time i was an lnd hr contract dude and i was basically writing role play assessments for corporate interviews and hr assessments so skills and needs-based assessments and one day I was approached by a gentleman who said look if we wanted a scenario that could test for creative problem solving. Could you design us something? And I went, yeah, sure, man, I can design anything. So and I find out a little bit later that this gentleman works for an intelligence organization and they were specifically looking to assess candidates for, you know, a few core skill sets and creative problem solving being one of them because these guys operated in a world of we have standard you know process we have sops however we fundamentally work in an environment where things will fail and disruptions and challenges unforeseen will always arise and so we need to best train our candidates for those sort of situations so how can we do that so this is what i ended up designing for this guy so i designed a scenario called the the hotel room very much very similar to like an escape room for spies the results were interesting because i designed it for them i brought it in as a civilian so already you know skepticism was high because you know what is this kid gonna tell us that we don't already know and then the testing instructor failed he oh. died he died in the room and he okay that's interesting and then we went green with the thing for about six weeks 90 percent of candidates fail wow except one there was one who on a particular day she was candidate number seven and she was the only one in the entire course of the hotel room who managed to solve it but not just managed to survive but survive with an optimal outcome not just a good or a better but like 100 percent a plus got escapes with you know all factors considered in the quickest possible time 
which was really, really interesting because when you've got a whole bunch of people who are like very intelligent, very creative, highly trained, highly skilled, why would they all fail? And this highlights what I was saying to you in the beginning about you can have technical expertise. You can have something I call linear expertise, which everyone in any profession will have whatever it is they do. Creative skills and intelligence are independent of technical expertise. And the best of both worlds, like radical innovation, amazing problem solving, paradigm shifts in society and the world occur when you can align creative skill sets with technical expertise. And this is what the hotel room went on to demonstrate. It's like you can assess these skills, we can train these skills, we can evaluate what a good, better or best creative outcome was, which for an organization like this was of massive value. I was really intrigued then, um, having been able to identify particular problems mm -hmm. where creativity or the lack of creativity when applied is, is, is hampering an organization. In the book and in some of the podcasts that you do, you've been talking about different solutions or ways that people can sort of exercise that muscle. Creativity isn't something that nobody has is something that we're all capable of yeah. and lots of business owners i'm sure that you work with as you said that you know they have an immense amount of experience and knowledge and really you're just sort of teasing them into a different way of using that knowledge so how is it that you do that what's what sort of examples do you have of the, the, the ways that you encourage creativity to come out and and solutions to be made one of the core skills that I talk about is the ability to adapt. This is a creative skill that often gets overlooked. So for most of us, we could associate it with, look, ah, there you go, COVID and disruption is a great one. Your ability to adapt within crisis is an essential skill set and it's a creative skill set as opposed to, you know, we remember everyone that tried to pivot during the pandemic. We yeah. remember everyone that basically froze and waited for somebody else to do something. So so it's, it's a creative skill set. Now, something like your ability to adapt, we observe in, say, actors when they're improvising. That's a really easy example. We observe it with musicians when they, when they play jazz. But we also observe it in folks like the hotel room, like in emergency response, first responders and military. Like mm -hmm. they're trained... At a very high level, these are your standard operating procedures. But they're also trained in live scenarios, like when this doesn't work, you need to think on your feet. This is That's something I call being reactive. Like it's a reactive adaptability. Something happens, you have to react to it. Now, proactive adaptability is where you can take principles from other people, other industry, other fields, and then adapt them to what it is that you do. And the clearest example I tend to run with is if you look at Uber, Uber is a, a you know, global disruptor, changed the way we do home delivery, let alone you know car services and everything else, which basically erupted out of nowhere. Uber was founded in 2009, and a year prior to that, Airbnb was founded. If you hold the two models side by side, you'll realize they're identical. Is that you have in the middle, you have a third party platform that facilitates a service between a user and a provider. So Airbnb owns no real estate, Uber owns no cars. Their platforms are basically identical, but Uber adapted what Airbnb built and then applied it to cars and transport. Austin Cleon talks about, this is what he means when he, he talks about in his book, like how to steal like an artist, you know, because for artists, we refer to this as influencers, you know, we'll mm -hmm. observe something shiny in another world, 
you know, we'll adapt it and mold it into something that we can use. It's a very, very different thing from Steve Jobs insisting that creativity is just connecting things. You know, it's about not just cutting and pasting. It's about observing a principle or a technique or even like if it happens to be an app or whatever it happens to be and adapting it to serve in a way that's going to serve your organization and and then ideally utilizing this in an original way that's going to push you ahead and i'll lastly touch on the fact yeah like uber uber basically ripped airbnb's model but didn't compete with airbnb they used it for cars and then they became the disruptor they became the global industry they set the standard and everyone else has mimicked them since now you've um, been working on some content yourself now this is for to be video lab and we do like to talk about video in this podcast uh, you've been deploying quite a different sort of range of uh, video content over the last couple of months across your various social profiles. Mm-hmm. And I wondered, as somebody who works in the um, sort of the connection point of yeah. um, executives um, and business minds with creativity, what made you choose some of the content that you've put out? Now, I'll let you decide which ones you want to describe. But so tell us, tell the uh, the audience some of the types of video that you've made and why you chose to use those. When I was writing the book, I wrote and shot a 10-episode series, mm-hmm. just me talking to camera. And it was talking about concepts in the book, but I kept all the videos to about two minutes long. Everything was scripted. I did it straight face to camera. There's a few cute things, like I'll do card tricks to demonstrate some creative principles that I'm talking about and how they apply to you. I did that partly to you know, build a profile on LinkedIn, also put it on YouTube so they're independently there when people want to look for them and they're a really handy reference point in terms of the work that i do the book that was coming and they should stay evergreen for a while for those who don't know evergreen is content that has like a really long life i do some other just shorthand video stuff on linkedin which is great for people to get you know a taste of my personality and and recently i've started a podcast with a, a colleague of mine who's in portland so i'm in sydney australia he's in portland oregon the two of us we run a podcast called the professional misfit we talk about our, our catchphrase it's the b-sides of professional life so if you're tired of the sort of polished hype of of linkedin and the social kind of game this is a bit more of a grounded behind the scenes authentic take of of what it is to have a professional life to have relationships to have mental health and sort of everything else in between and what that is on a day-to-day and let's just openly talk about it brody and i saw there was a little gap in that market where there's a lot of displacement and disillusionment and disconnection from what a professional working life should look like. That's been disrupted for everyone. Let's talk about it. It's not clean. It's not pretty, but that's life. And I think there's some real value in those sort of conversations. You've got a real interesting range of content that you've put out. And I was quite inspired by what you actually watched the video of uh, your first podcast. And you were talking about your sort of attitudes to work. And Brody talked about how he couldn't return back to, uh, sorry, just to explain to the audience, mm. so Brody is the other partner of yours mm. in the um, podcast. He talked about never being able to go back to the sort of nine to five, which um, I think a lot of people can relate to. You talk in all of your videos about how to use creativity in what you do. Now, I wondered when you use the processes you do with uh, individuals in uh, VC organizations or tech startups, what is it that they're aiming to achieve at the end? What is the benefit of some of the solutions that you've offered them? You know, what, what outcomes can they get and 
Why really do they need to sort of venture into risking their reputation in their own mind? One of the recent clients I have is a VC firm who will invest in tech startups, for instance, and especially brokers foreign investment. Part of the reason they would bring well, had they have brought me in is to workshop with the tech startup actual project in terms of that where are we going, what's this for, what's your process, how do you think about it, and and basically getting the juices flowing in what would be the kitchen of the project. On the other side of the fence, with these actual VC funds, the same skill sets are used to develop creative intelligence and skills and apply them to projects. You can use the same skills and format to vet and assess these startups that are brought to you who are looking for investment. It's that classic thing of not every new idea is a good idea and worthy of investment. There's yeah. a lot of bad ideas that you know get on the hype but never actually turn a profit. I wrote a paper about Netflix this morning and Netflix has never been profitable since its inception. Netflix came onto the scene and disrupted the industry once famously and changed the game for video and media but really hasn't done anything since. Mm. And the problem with this is, and this is a lesson for all leaders out there, is that you can have a great idea once and that's, and that's fine. But now they've created their own competition. People like Disney have come to the party by buying Marvel and buying Lucasfilm mm-hmm. because they, they're going to compete in this space. And a ton of, you've got a, you've, now you've got an oversaturated market all competing in this space. So you've disrupted once and you changed the game, good for you. Now you're getting swallowed whole by everyone who's caught up to you. Mm. Now, by comparison, if you look at an organization like Apple, like Apple did more than design the MacBook once. Mm. You know, they went on to keep shifting and keep changing. And then, the, you know, famously the iPhone, famously the iPod. There's, you know, a lot of some failed projects in there as well. But the point is they kept moving the needle. They kept proactively offering something new. Yeah. And... And if nothing else, and this applies for both of us and all of our clients everywhere, the key word here is proactive, Mm -hmm. not reactive. Like you want to be claiming new space as the leader, not being reactive to competition who have set the tone for you. That's Yeah, that's interesting you use the example of Apple because they have had um, failures. They haven't always had, you know, positive products, but they seem to be an organization which are well used in examples um, uh, by people. But there are also smaller examples of companies which embrace failure as a sort of necessary part of the creative process. But what benefits do you see in a wider sort of context for businesses if they can adapt? Can creativity help a company's adaption of inclusion and diversity in the workplace as well, for instance? It can't hurt. What I, what I, will, what I will say is that... There seems to be, it's an HR and corporate view that like by bringing in diverse minds, you're going to have, you know, more diverse opinions and more and more creative ideas. And I'm not against diversity, but I'll have to point out the fact that it's not entirely true. If you get a French engineer, a German engineer, a Swiss engineer, a black engineer, a white engineer, and a Chinese engineer all in the same room, they're all going to think like engineers. Mm. Right. And so there's a, there's a, there's a, political notion or it's like a common uh logic notion that diverse backgrounds and diverse whatever else that's that'll bring creativity and i assert that that's not quite the case and what you actually need are skills like Mm. create it in any in, in any industry in any field skills drive process 
process without skills means nothing. And I same th- I wrote an article, I think, about two weeks ago about like the six easy steps to remove a gallbladder. Mm. And I could cite them to you now. Right. Right. But and like here, like take buy my course, you know, sign up to my newsletter. Here's six easy steps to remove a gallbladder. Mm. But I don't have the skills or the expertise to back it up. And this is precisely the point with a lot of innovation and creative projects is that someone will sell a process. Design thinking is, a, is an amazing example of just like, here's a process, use the process. Mm. You have no creative skills to back it up. So then down the line, you wonder why you've blown a whole bunch of money and time and haven't got a result that you've been looking for. So to your question, like, how does it help? Like the other part of creative thinking and process is that you will actively and critically challenge what you already have. And this can't be a bad thing for an organization because it's a constant gut check of the processes that you have in place, the you know the customer relations that you have in place, like why are we doing it this way? What people tend to, we tend to associate creativity and innovation with new things. We can also apply creativity and innovation to streamlining and efficiency of process mm-hmm. right and that's that's a massive cost benefit and it's yeah, also the cool. video comes in as well i do like that 100 100 um and and so this is something for organizations to be aware of as well and and normally if you if you get people with who can, who are creative thinkers with these creative skills who have this is the other thing as well like emotional intelligence is a creative skill mm. It's a massive, massive, massive creative skill. I, I, I go into it in depth in the book. I won't bore you with it now. But especially in STEM fields where innovation is supposed to be ripe and mm. design thinking, for instance, what's the first step in design thinking? It's to empathize with a client or customer. Now, empathy is part of emotional intelligence. And if there's one trait that STEM is not, so strong on famously it would have to be emotional intelligence so no right so no one's really joined this thought but it's always like we've got well we've got the process and so long as we have the process we'll have an outcome but that unfortunately unfortunately that's not how creativity works one of the gifts of creativity is to observe the same information within the same parameters and to draw out a unique outcome Right. Uh, whereas standardized process, standardized tests, most things is if I have standard input and if I have a standard process, I will have a standardized outcome. And so that's how we become productive. We make that faster. But creativity doesn't behave in this manner. So that's right. something, right. And so that's something that that users and organizations will need to understand. And similarly, when you're going to clients and saying, if you want to connect to your audience in a new way if if you want to circumvent the ai hype Mm -hmm. and if you really want to connect to your audience because something that i talk about with brody on our podcast and it was i think it was episode two or three and it's ai and content creation Mm. and i make the point that as much as ai might be hyped and it might take over social media what will happen directly in parallel is that the an audience's level of distrust will scale. Right. Because we are we're smarter than you think and we're aware when we're being sold to and we're aware when someone is using an automated script and an automated voiceover 
and all these sorts of things. Yeah. So if you've got someone like you yeah. who comes to a client and says, no, 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 your your audience, your customer wants to see you. Yeah. They want to connect. They want to connect with a human because at the end of the day, what's AI marketing media and social media and video for? It's to connect, to connect to yeah. build a relationship with a client. Yeah. Exactly right. It's, so if I'm if I'm a buyer of yours, mm. and if I get the smell that mm. there's a bot in between the two of us, you've lost my trust immediately. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I've been really intrigued by the difference that AI is going to have on um, the way that we do business. I sort of wrote a summary of um, when I was, when I was rereading your book for this interview. Um, I was thinking to myself, you know, is there a way? I'm trying to think of like the log line that I would have written for myself if I was doing a review. And I, I thought to myself, really, it, by embracing creativity, you are enabling yourself or your company to stay ahead of the curve. And that was yeah. the shortest way that I could sort of like summarize what you'd put into the book. Um, yeah. It's a fantastic book. The six um, creative skill sets you talk about are very relevant and they're very. Um, tonal but in terms of um artificial intelligence um i i i i really really feel strongly about this that we can't ignore the fact that i like talking to people to understand them we like listening to people because we love their stories yeah and we can tell um it, specifically in in this context where there is a, a video and i can see you you can see me and i know that i'm talking to this guy christopher sellers and that we, you and I are establishing a relationship. So yeah. I think that there is going to be a sort of like a, a difference, a disconnect between, as you say, the need for people to create content, but the fact that we do, we want to talk to people, don't we? We want to talk to individuals. I wondered, is there something that you do to help people find their inner uh, creative voice? It's not one of the chapter headings, but you do sort of allude to it in several parts of your book. Um, I hope I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I think it's, because there's because I break it down like there's six creative skills and so like it's problem solving it's innovation it's composition it's emotional intelligence it's uh, originality I think those are the six yeah so what what I seek to do is like whatever it is that you do whatever industry that you're in mm -hmm. no doubt you can apply pick a skill pick any one of them and you can apply them to what it is that you do um, and if you want to get better at any of these because it's the way I the way I describe creativity, I make the analogy that it's that it's a language. All right, so it, everyone, we all have the potential to learn another language, and everyone speaks a little bit, but fluency and competency actually takes work and discipline and and time in, um, and creativity is no different. So if you want to polish your skills to this sort of bilingual mode, where you can turn it on and turn it off when you need it, when you can complex problem solve when you need to, when you can flex your emotional intelligence and adapt if you have to, and when you can come up with an original ideas when you're demanded to. Um, it's it's a craft, it's a skill like like anything else. Uh, but I think what you're, uh, hopefully what you're alluding to is this this sort of concept of play. Yeah. And this, yeah, great. <laughs> and and it's, it's something we associate with children, but really play by my definition is, is exploration without attachment to outcome. Mm -hmm. And so for even for, you know, grown up folks like you and I, we, we can play with ideas. We get lost down a YouTube rabbit hole, you know, and watch, and watch videos on planets and black holes and things like that. But we're sort of playing with these ideas and these concepts. So 
in a corporate space or even in a personal space, like taking the time to just play with something. And I, I don't care where it's going to end up and I, and I don't care what it's supposed to look like and I don't care what people think of me. Now, it can, it can be a bit of a challenge because even I'm a perfectionist. But as a, as a personal anecdote, I, I taught myself card magic, sleight of hand card magic during the COVID lockdown when I was doing those videos I mentioned before. Yeah, and you showed them. I was really intrigued by what Right, right, right. That. And and so it, it was a little bit of a gimmick, but it was also something I was learning and playing with at the time. But it was because I'm a super nerd. It's because I could ad- I could adapt the value, adapt the principle of the 52 factorial, which I'll let people research on their own. It's a fun thing, um, and it's super super relevant to the sort of work that I do, where you can have the same information in the same parameters. I can have the same 52 cards, but I can shuffle them and manipulate them, in, and I'll never have the same sequence twice. So there's unlimited potential within a deck of cards, which means for your problem, for your video, for whatever it is that you want to do, there's unlimited potential you can tap into. Um, And the way that I learned to do this was by watching YouTube videos, by walking around with a deck of cards and dropping things, and with a lot of time in and practice. But I tried to take off this heavy-weighted expectation of like, I'm going to be on Telempella, you know, Penn and Teller, I'm going to be the world's greatest card musician. No, that's not the goal here. The goal is for me to flex these skills, these creative skills, to play with cards, just so it happens to be fun for me. And so find what's fun for you and play with that. Well, they're great examples. Um, I think if people wanted to get a taste of what you do, they could look at your LinkedIn profile and um, mm-hmm. have a look at some of those videos that you've talked about in this podcast there's no doubt that um, by taking some of the examples that you lay out in your book, you've demonstrated that um, creativity has enabled people that you work with to uh, build themselves up, make themselves better. And then in business, attracting more customers um, mm. is what we're about. Um, I'm go- I'm going to ask you now to uh, give me the various destinations that people go to. So I don't want to sort of like reveal so many of the benefits of using creativity in a business most business leaders will be aware of this the book is really really inspirational to read is great at unpicking the different techniques that you use um, and it's a great insight into into what you do as a job now to round it off where do people normally recruit you from because i know you're in quite a bit of demand how do you how do people connect to you and where do they find you yeah, that's very kind. Thank you. Um, my website's a great place to start. So it's uh, www.cssellers.com. So it's sellers like Peter Sellers, cssellers.com. You can find me on LinkedIn as Christopher S. Sellers, or I'm, or I'm sure if you find Matt, you'll be able to search his friends list or comments and you'll find me in there somewhere as well. Uh, and if you're interested in podcasts, you can look at promisfitspodcast.com and it should have my links on there as well. Or yeah, just reach out for a chat. I'm more than happy to talk to anyone about what their problem is, how I can help, how I can work with their team, what you're looking to do. And and thank you very much for the book reviews. Very, very kind. I appreciate no, it. No, I meant, I, well, I was going to say, you didn't you didn't mention, I'm going to ask people specifically, um, if you want to go and have a look at uh, Christopher's book, it's on Amazon Books and I'll leave yes. a, a um, connection in the show notes. So if you're a business owner and you want to sort of build a reputation for being innovative, if you are a company that want to attract new investors or customers by demonstrating your creativity and your willingness to take risks, 
then uh, Christopher's book is a great read and and professionally you should reach out to him. So Christopher, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast. I'm always intrigued every time I see your content online and I look forward to finding out what lessons I'm going to learn. Um, uh, thank you very much. And uh, uh, one, one thing I'm going to ask you, what is the next skill that you're going to try and learn? <laughs> uh, I'm going to try and teach myself the banjo, finally enough. <laughs> Right. I've never I've never played an instrument in my life, so stay tuned. We'll see you know right. see me in three or four months. We'll see how we go. Wow, that's amazing! Right, I look forward to banjo playing. <laughs> Christopher, it's been a pleasure. I'll speak to you again soon. Matt, thanks for having me. Bye.